but I, am, I have been talking about, this is something I taught to our leadership several years ago, and um, I have felt, I felt strongly impressed to, to start last week, and I, I'm going to go ahead, if you would put Ephesians 3, so just kind of give us a little bit of a basis, Ephesians the thir- third chapter, 17 through 19, I'm going to read it off this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is, and this is the key right here, these, this next few lines, the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. Uh, these are uh, three dimensions. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I am, I, what I'm doing is, uh, what I started last week was teaching on the four dimensions uh, of man and then the, the pivotal dimension, which is the fifth, that leads to God, which is the sixth and the seventh. And I talked about sixth, six dimensions last week, and I'm talking and leaving this last one just for tonight. And again, it may not be all that lengthy, but I really want your undivided attention. Uh, I may not do this again for a long time. This is something I, I told I told Brother Gillespie, I said, I haven't really read uh, much of my notes. And, of course, I got a book on, called God Reach. A lot of this material came out of written back in 19, the 1930s. Since then, since then, I've done some of my own research. And um, I really had, again, I hadn't been and I hadn't really studied, hadn't read the book. But since I've got back into, into teaching this, I felt um, gratified that some of these areas that I have, uh, not that I have, but God has helped me to, to tap into. And I didn't realize some of it that I had been doing and some of the areas that I had been seeking. And you've heard me mention many times, and, and I'm going to mention it again, that we have a tendency to want to try to, uh, well men do have a tendency to want to try to fix everything and as a pastor sometimes you are expected to get involved and to make something go away or to fix something and there's a lot of times that God doesn't want it done that way and part of really loving someone and part of the seventh dimension of course sixth is perfect love the sixth dimension just broken down to the basics is perfect love But the sixth dimension is oneness, not just believing in one God, but oneness with God. And and being oneness or being one with Him will let you know, and and I'm going to bring some things out that I'm not really going to teach on, but, and and it may may shake you a little bit, but a a fifth dimensional person, person that, that, you know, fourth dimension is a person who's religious person who can appreciate art, music, this kind of thing. That's a fourth-dimensional person. Most people live there. Fifth-dimensional place is a place of quiet where you, you just, everything is there. And, of course, the sixth dimension is perfect love. So you can take the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh dimension, they all blend, can blend into one. But a fifth-dimensional person can look at something and see it as God sees it as being already accomplished. And this is why that we don't have... 
a lot of healing the way we should have healing because a fifth dimensional person who has tapped into the other two who who has a perfect love for mankind and for God and as living as one does not see the sickness they see a person being well they look at it now I understand what I'm saying I'm not saying this person's above anybody but I'm saying that it's like looking from above and you see everything as whole case in point someone says that they've got cancer of the lung a fifth dimensional person that's tapped into the other two looks down and they don't see a cancer in the lung they see lungs that are healthy because that's how God sees it do you understand what I'm saying God sees everything as he's created it through our greed through our lifestyle through uh, you know and regardless of how well that you live living in a world that is full of what this world is full of you can still get things the rain falls on the just and the unjust the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous so we tap in but God sees everything in his perfect order and if we can see things that way and really believe them in our hearts and our minds some of you believe that we all got to just be a little negative all the time but I never have believed that though I'm not there yet I believe that we can see things as God sees them. And if we can see things as God sees them, then God will heal that person if we can believe to that extent that we look at everything in its perfect order. I'm not telling you everybody's going to live forever here in this world. I'm telling you that there is a time, and you've heard me mention it, there's a time to die. And when that's, there's a sickness unto death, God will let you know there's a sickness unto death. But not every sickness is a sickness unto death. All right. That's just a little add-on there. Now, we have been going up a series of stairways, and we call them dimensions. And I believe that each step helps us to understand what we can have in the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. We can have this in the Holy Ghost. Most people live... When I said fourth, I meant third a while ago. Most people live in the third dimension. Third dimension, or if you remember from last week, I described the third dimension as a cube. They have friends, they have uh, world knowledge, art, religion. They have that. The fourth level brings us to a place where there are dancing people. Okay? Follow me. They believe that their movement speaks, and I believe it too. I believe that all of us live in these, this particular dimension. We worship in this dimension. We don't leave this. You know, this is where most people make the mistake. Even though you, you may go a little higher, and you see this in churches, people begin to think that there's no longer any uh, necessity to live righteously and holy because they've evolved past that. And that's not the case. You still embrace that. You may grow, but you never let go of what you already have to grow. You have to have a solid foundation. You can never be uh, the kind of person or people that I'm talking about here unless you have the right foundation. Now, in this case, the fourth dimension, the dancing people, if you would, uh, they are, you know, they, they know, and, and let, me, let, me, let me back up just a little bit. Uh, sometimes, 
sometimes, you know, that, you know, let me back up a little further. Let, let, me, let me get you where I need you to be. I, again, when I said they believe their movement speaks, which it does. Now, the minds of men are engaged, and all of us are. Our minds are engaged in rhythms, if you would. Everything has a rhythm to it. How many of you work or have ever worked on a, in a factory and worked on a line? Is there a rhythm to what you do? Okay. There's a rhythm to it. Life is that way. There's always a rhythm to what you do. There's, there's a way of doing it. There's a rhythm. When a preacher gets up to preach, if he's got the Holy Ghost, he gets into the anointing. It's a rhythm in the anointing. There's a rhythm there. So life is this way. They're engaged in rhythms. Uh, you heard me use the term last week, radar. Our radar is constantly working in this, in this fourth dimension. Now, most, again, most Holy Ghost-filled people dwell there. Now, when I use the term radar, and I want you to get, grasp this, radar puts out a vibration. Sonar, radar, it puts out a vibration. And sonar, it sends a signal. The signal bounces off something, comes back, and describes what you've seen. When you, if you, any of you uh, have a fish finder, you know, your, little, your fish finder brings this little thing. It looks like a fish back up. and maybe a bottle floating in there, but it looks like a fish. So it can't describe, but it tells you there's something down there. So you're in there fishing for a bottle thinking there's a fish underneath it. You know, but anyway, that's, it does it that way. So it's a vibration. Now, sometimes people come from the third dimension. They jump from the third dimension to the sixth dimension instead of the fourth. Now, what happens here is that they receive the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Then what happens is they go back to the third dimension. They believe God, receive the Spirit of God, and they jump back to the third dimension. And most of you, if you've been around church any length of time, you know exactly what I'm speaking of. The Spirit or the indwelling Spirit becomes just a religion. Now, they don't mean it in a, in a bad way. They know it's necessary for salvation. And I will be the first one to say this. There's times of trial and temptation that I hang on to the fact that I have to live right to make it to heaven. Okay? I, I hang on to that fact. But I don't want to stay in that third level, third dimension. And most people just do. They go jump back and they just live there. Some of you, whether you're man or woman, you've got a husband or wife that's not in church, you come in and you, you receive the Holy Ghost, and you feel like in order to keep peace in the family, you go back to living third dimensionally. And you see, that's the biggest lie that the devil's ever pushed out. You have to, yes, you should please your husband. You should love your husband. You should do things right. But you don't go back and you don't give up. And you don't quit growing because your husband expects you to be a third dimensional person or wife. You don't do that. You move, you grow, and you hope that as you continue to grow that somehow he'll see this and they'll say, hey, I've I got to get a hold of this because she's going to grow so fast I'm going to lose her completely. That's why the Scripture says that the believing sanctifies the unbelieving. You don't act like the unbelieving to bring them in. You go forth and you grow in God, loving them all the time until that person begins to grow with you. Now, next, we stop at the fifth dimension. Now, in the fifth dimension is where the peaceful people are. Now, let me, let me, let me stop there a minute. 
What is Robertson's definition of peaceful person? Raise your hand. Robertson's definition of a peaceful person. Oh, well, of course, now, the General Webster's Dictionary of a Peaceful Person is the person who sits calmly in the pew with hands folded. They take their derby hat off and put it down next to them. And they sit down, fold their hands in their lap, and sit there and nod occasionally when you make a point. That's a peaceful person. Is that correct? Anybody want to try to help me define peaceful person? Raise your hands. Come on. What's a peaceful person? Huh? Ask Sunday morning. That's a peaceful person. All right, a peaceful person is a person that's back there in a daze because they didn't get any sleep last night. Because they were up fighting with their wife all night. Because they got an electric blanket and then one turns it up too high and burns the other one up. Now, the reason I know that is because I've experienced that thing. My wife, can, we have one of those double electric blankets, you know, you turn up your side. and Mine's turned off zero. In fact, I turned it on air conditioning. And she turns hers up to 500. And you know what happens? It just kind of goes right over on me. So you wake up in the middle of the night thinking you're having a hot flash. I have, I have, let's see, I'm going to get this right. Woken, awaken, woken. Okay. I have woken, awaken sounds better, but I think it's woken's a proper one. Uh, no, it's not awoken. It's woken. No, no, it's woken. No, it's not. Someone go get a dictionary. All right. <laughs> Robertson's definition is I woke up. <laughs> you know, I woke up with a, with a pillow soaked in sweat. Uh, you know, because because your wife's over there. That's not a peaceful person. So what is a peaceful person? A peaceful person is a person who all of the dilemmas of life can surround you. Everything the devil can throw at you, he will throw at you. And I'm not saying it doesn't disrupt your life, but you keep peace in your heart, even in the midst of the worst trial. That is a peaceful person. That's a fifth dimensional person. That is a person who doesn't come in, fold their hands, and sit down in a pew and not do anything. That is that, that you, you are still fourth dimensional. You're still one of the dancing people. And you still worship. You still love God. You still are encouraged. But in your heart, you may be able to worship. And you've heard many stories told about this. You may be able to worship all around the front of the church. But when you go home, you may have bad news. It's been there, you know, for days. And you don't know what you're going to do. The mortgage is due. You're getting kicked out of your house. You've lost your car. You've done all these things. But you're still loving God. You're not sitting there with a long face. Now, that's a fifth dimensional person. Moving on. These are the peaceful people. The area above all, 
And this is the area, the fifth dimensional. This is the area above all vibration and rhythms of the fourth, where all perfect patterns for every person is found. And if we can clear the fog sufficiently in our minds and our souls, we can see them. See, that's the problem is we have the fog in our minds and our souls. That's the reason we never are able to grow out within the parameters, if you can use that term, and I don't necessarily use it when it comes to God's Spirit, but within the Holy Spirit, there is limitless opportunities for growth and for understanding and for wisdom and knowledge. It's limitless. There's nothing we can't do in the Holy Ghost. Nothing. But we have to clear the fog out of our minds. What, what uh, Adam said is that, that flesh barrier. You know, we got to get past the flesh barrier. I, I did not come into this and did not receive God's Spirit just to sit there in the third dimension. I did not do that. I want to go to heaven. And yes, there's times when things are bad. To, so I hang on to that and it, it boosts me back where I need to be. But I'm not there just to say, okay, I've got this. I'm going to church every, every, you know, twice a week, three times a week, whatever it may be. That's more to it than that. And if there is this is all there is to it, I would be like Paul. I'd be of all men most miserable. If my hope in Christ in this world only, I would, all men, I would be of all men most miserable. There's more to it than this, and this is why I'm teaching what I am. Now, as long as a vessel is plowing through thick fog banks, its navigator has to keep their radar working constantly to catch the return vibrations from any icebergs or any kind of jutting landmass that may endanger the journey. But when the mist is all cleared away, no longer does a captain have to depend upon instruments to record vibrations. He can steer the course easily and rhythmically into the harbor that awaits him because now he can see the perfect course. Do you understand that? He can see. All we need in the Spirit of God is the ability to see. Teresa Jesus said, having eyes they what? See not. Having ears, they hear not. We have to have eyes that are open to the course that we need to go. It's okay for a season to use radar. Oh, my eyes will bring it up. There's times in in the Holy Ghost that radar picks up. You know something's there. Through the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, uh, according to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, you pick up something, but you're not, not clear. That's because you're fourth dimensional. I've done that, still do that. And then there are times when it's just as clear as a bell. I know. I don't have to reach for anything. I don't have to, to get down and, and, and pray for three hours. Normally, you get this clarity when you have prayed for three hours. But I'm saying, I don't get just a little little piece of something and have to get down to pray to get it cleared up. It's just there. And when a person stays right in their relationship with God, when they stay prayed up, when they have, when they have a consistent prayer and fasting life, 
then the clarity is there. You're no longer in the fog bank. You're not using radar to reach out. You're not being all spooky. That's the trouble too many, uh, too many apostolic wannabes. They're spooky. You know, they, they get down and, you know, act like they're in some kind of seance or something when they're praying over you. You don't need to do that. That's not necessary. There's a clarity to it. I'm not sending out radar vibrations. God lets you see clearly when you're in that position to do so. Now, moving on. Jesus, I, let, let me, let me, you've got Luke 10 and 20. Uh, put up, well, it's okay, we'll put up 21 when I get through this. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Leave it there just a moment. Well, go, it's all right, leave it, just, we'll come back. Now, now you're messing me up. I want the world. <laughs> Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now go to 21, then I'll come back. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, Oh, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent, and hast revealed them. Look, look at this. Has revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Now, why did Jesus say it that way? It's because when you sit on a pew so long thinking that you're right in your traditional way of doing things, it's hard for you to come back to the reality. That's why these things are revealed to new ones. Go back 20 again. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names, leave this up there, are written in heaven. What's he telling you? What's he saying? Jesus, who could see the perfect pattern of each disciple, caution his 70, not to be thrilled over the vibrations they can control in the fourth dimension. So casting out devils is not a big deal. <laughs> the Bible says that in the name of Jesus that these things have got to flee. If you're wallowing around with somebody on the front that's got a devil and you're not doing any good then they don't have a devil. Because if they did have a devil, and you don't have enough faith to get rid of it, that thing will get on you. Now, I'm, Scripture will tell you that. So that means either that person doesn't have a devil, or that devil would have come out and got on you for trying to mess with it if you didn't have enough faith to get rid of it. So you can't say I don't have enough faith to get rid of it. You're dealing with flesh. Getting rid of devils is not that difficult if you've got faith. They've got to flee. Now, I know that there are areas where people go right back to the spirits that they get rid of. You've heard me talk about that many times. I've seen devils come out of people. I've been almost hit by people. They couldn't really punch me. They tried to punch me. And they missed. When you deal with a situation like that, you better be sure you're right. But let me, let me go back to it. This is not a big deal. Not according to what Jesus said. He said, now, don't be thrilled over these. You know, this is controlled by the, by the fourth dimension by which they cast out demons. But to rejoice rather that the perfect patterns in the fifth dimension were already created for them in heaven. Everything was already created for them in heaven. That's what he's saying here. Your names are written in heaven. In other words, heaven already knows 
This is not just a matter of having your name written in the book of life and so that when the rapture takes place, you're going to go to heaven. There's more to it than that. Heaven already knows you. Your name is already there. Everything is already in pattern for you. Everything is already situated for you. Ninety percent of our problem serving God is because we do not know what God has prepared for us already here in this life. Ninety percent of our trouble. We don't have enough confidence in ourselves. We don't have enough confidence in God working in us. Think. Think about this for a moment. If you're apprehensive about God dealing with you in a certain area, what is that saying? Anybody? What? You doubt who? What do you say? That's right. Exactly, it needs to be dealt with. So, but, but if you're dealing with it, what, what, what are you saying by that statement? What, what is being said here? That means that you doubt God. If you're apprehensive about something, you need to deal with it because your relationship with God is not right in that area. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to be perfect. I'm telling you how we need to get on the road to doing better than what we are. Don't constantly uh, look at yourself as some kind of low-life worm. You know, when you do that, you're never going to grow above this. What's he saying about this pattern? He's saying that everything is already prepared. God knows your name in heaven. That goes along with whatsoever you bind in, in earth shall be bound in heaven. In other words, it's already got to be bound. If you look at that in the original, it's already got to be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose in earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's got already got to be loosed in, in, in heaven. Because God knows who you are because your name is written there. I wish you could understand this. Let's keep working at it. The sixth dimension. Oh, my. I told everybody I was going to. I'm not even halfway done. The sixth dimension, the place of orchestration where all of these patterns or names that are written in heaven can be brought together in perfect agreement and harmony. When I, and when I say harmony, I'm not speaking of laying aside doctrinal truths for unity. Jesus defined this dimension when he said, if two of you should agree or symphonize on earth as touching anything that they shall ask and it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. If one person, if one person can get still enough for the fog to roll away and the blur to leave his vision, he would be able to see his divine plan or the pattern given on the mount according to Hebrews 8, 5 through 6. And it speaks, rather, of, of a better covenant, which is the New Testament, better promises. It's speaking of a revelation of the pattern on the mount. And when a revelation through the Holy Ghost comes of the pattern, then you're going to sing a new song. Then you'll receive exact supply of your needs when you ask. That's all. There's a pattern that God gave. It was given on the mount. When you begin to see that pattern on the mount. You begin to see that this pattern, your name's already written in heaven. When you see that, when all of a sudden this comes by revelation, one day if you begin to read this and study this and pray about this, all of a sudden all the fog begins to roll away and you say, yes, there's a pattern for me. My name is written in heaven. My name is written in heaven. I can have these things. You're going to receive exactly what you have need of. 
I don't expect God to give you every little uh, lollipop that you want, but God will take care of you. We're living in a time right now when there's a lot of hurting people, people without jobs, people with jobs that don't pay enough. But when it comes right down to it here, God said he would take care of you. He'll supply your needs. You've got to believe that. You've got to believe that. When two or three others join this person, and they too allow the Spirit to still them and their vision clears. This is why sometimes in a prayer meeting you just need to be quiet. You pray for 30 minutes and then you're quiet for about five so you can let some of the fog roll away. Then what happens? Their vision clears and the power that comes through, this power that comes through will be greatly multiplied. With seven or twelve, it becomes tremendous. Now think about what I'm saying here. Two or three others join this person. They too allow spirit to steal them. Their vision clears and the power that comes through will be greatly multiplied. Seven or twelve, it becomes tremendous. When 120 come together, I think, in one place, and all are of one mind, what do you have? You have Pentecost. 120 come together. In one mind, you have Pentecost. That's a pattern. 120 come together in one mind. Remember what unity is. Unity is not camaraderie. It's not uh, being so close to one another that you smell each other's armpits. That's not unity. Unity, unity is a purpose. That's purpose. I get so sick of hearing that term used the wrong way. It's unity and purpose, unifying with God. It's, the Bible says, again, three different places in the Scripture. Unified in the Spirit, unified in the faith. That's how it speaks. Unified in faith, unified in Spirit. So when two or three come together, you know, that they, they can, something great can happen. Seven to twelve becomes tremendous. 120, you have a Pentecost. The people that are born into the body must remain in unity and harmony for God to work through them. But never a compromising unity to the effect of a doctrine of separation. Never. And in the sixth, we see many patterns brought into union, symphonized in power and beauty as, a, as an orchestra brings numbers of instruments together to produce something that no single instrument can achieve. That's why there's orchestration. It's not just one instrument. It's several instruments. I, th- this is what I love so much about him. And, and he made a statement. I, I, I don't know if you made it to me or you made it at a uh, department retreat. I think it was department retreat where he felt that God showed him that in order for us to have a revival, that we have to get the groundwork taken care of first. We've got to be able to keep what we, what we, we catch, okay? We've got to be able to keep what we catch. We can't do that unless we have the right groundwork. That's why this next year we're not just, we're adding one more department to, to uh, outreach, which is a mentoring department. And Sherry's going to be taking care of that. We're going to see people mentored. We're going to push on this. We're going to make this a semi-cell ministry, if you would. We're going to, we're going to mentor people. We, we see that's been the problem. We, we, can, we can win people, but we're not keeping people. And you've got to mentor them. You've got to let them know what they can have. This is important. And I, you know, people are not stupid. People know that this Holy Ghost is wonderful. And they, they realize, they get in, they come in, new people come in, they receive it, and they've got all this zeal, they got all this, and they want some knowledge to go with it. They've got to understand what's going on. And you can all, can, can't always do that in this kind of setting. Sometimes there is a, a, a people that, that need to ask questions. They need to, to talk to someone in a smaller setting. That's why we're trying to, to work in a mentoring area here. So we see this. This is um, 
Um, in the seventh, rather, we find a pattern that unites all patterns in the heart of God himself. Jesus shows us the pattern throughout the Gospels. He that has seen me has seen the Father. But you say Jesus was God. Yes, but Jesus was also man. He was 100% man, 100% God. He was the only God-man. Thus, he shows that man can become one with the Spirit. Now, we're not talking about us becoming the fullness that God had dwelt in Jesus bodily. And the Bible says you're complete in Him. You are complete in Him. A good analogy for this is an eclipse. Listen to me. The form of the moon is made after the image and the likeness of the sun, both being perfect spheres. When the moon swings into its orbit, in its orbit in front of the sun, it shuts out the view of the sun entirely. So let's imagine that you are the moon and God is the sun and completely reverse the process. The world would be flooded with light. Whenever man lets God swing in front of him, letting his little self be completely erased from view by the greater self of God, something wonderful happens. It's letting God get in front of us. See, we try to eclipse God. That's why we, I've been pounding recently on motives. Why do we do what we do? We try to eclipse God. It's not a matter of us getting in front of God. It's not a matter of you seeing me or how great a preacher or teacher or whatever it is that I am. What matters is that you see God, not me. What matters is you feel the anointing. You feel the power of God. You see the beauty of God. You see that. You don't see Robertson. You see God. That is what true anointing and real ministry is all about. You know, the simplest way To achieve this union is through absolute surrender, completely losing oneself in in the absolute God, Jesus Christ. Completely losing yourself in the absolute God, Jesus Christ. Luke 17, 33. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Now, That's how Jesus defined this dimension of oneness, right there. That's how he defines it. That's what being one with God is all about. Another one is, I am the vine and you are the branches. Jesus also prayed for his disciples in John 17, 20 and 21. Did I give you that one or not? Okay, put that up. It's up there. Good. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be. Now look at this. He's praying for those who believe on him through the words of the apostles, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. This shows... Really, it shows us the mind of God towards the relationship that he wants his people that are called by his name to have after they receive salvation. That's the relationship that he wants us to have. As we are branches and Jesus is the vine, the biggest decision we must make in life is where we shall take our stand. That's the big decision that we have to make. Shall we let our consciousness... Our awareness rests where the branch connects with the vine or out on the tip, away from the center, exposed to every wind of emotion and desire that blows. 
Do you think that possibly that's where our problems may lie? I'm a branch. He's the vine. I have to make a decision where I'm going to stay in the center next to the vine or out there on the tip. And every time a wind comes along, every time some emotional uh, crisis springs up, then I'm out there getting beat around. But that person who decides to stay close to the vine, he's not moving nearly as much. That's the choice we have to make. Now, Job had to face this dilemma. Should he declare himself untied with God or with the dust of the earth? At which end of the branch should he take his stand? Now, you think about Job and what he had to deal with. Which end is he going to take his stand? Should he be modest and tell the falsehood? Or should he be true and appear to others to be boastful and arrogant? He listened deep down in his heart, and there he found only one answer. And that was be true to the highest light that you have. Be true to the highest light that you have. What was it that was down in his heart? What was there that he, that he knew? It was, it was this. In his real self... In his real self, the inner man, which is of God, and through which God speaks, acts, and thinks, he was perfect. Now, he, he knew that. He was sitting in an ash heap. He had boils all over his body. He lost his family and his herds. He had tornadoes come through, tear up everything. And there he's sitting on the ash heap. He's got his friends coming around him, and they're saying, Job, you are a sinner. What did you do, you terrible heathen, you? And he knew down in his heart... He hadn't done any of that. That in his heart he was perfect. Follow me. He knew that the utterance of these words would condemn him in the eyes of his friends. He knew that if he said those words, he was going to be condemned. Every time someone asks me how I am and I say I'm perfect, I get condemnation. And I still say it. Now you're going to understand it. You need to write this down so you understand why I say I'm perfect. Therefore he said this. Did I give you a job? Is that here already? If I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me. Or shall prove me perverse. Though I were perfect, yet would I not know my soul. In other words, he's saying, if I wasn't perfect, I wouldn't know my soul. I would despise my life. That's what he's saying. He said, if I wasn't perfect, I would despise my life. But he said, if I say it, I'm perverse. Next verse. Is that all of them? Oh, I thought there was two verses. There was two verses there. Now... Therefore, he said, if I speak my own words, they will condemn me. Nevertheless, he explained, I am perfect. I am perfect. Is that what I said? Yeah. Go back there. What would you move it for? I need to look at it. I am perfect. Leave it there. I regard not myself or know myself. In his inner struggle, there was evidence that he, made it, and that he made a distinction between the I, which is subjective, 
within governing, controlling, creating, and the me, which is objective without governed, control, created. There's a distinction between the creator and the creation. There's a distinction. That's what Job was doing here. Everywhere in the Bible, humility is counseled and always at the highest good. But it is always humility and humiliation of the outer me. The outer me. Never of the creative life-building I. I am. Before Abraham was. Why is that? That's where God lives. You hear me? So when I say I'm perfect, I'm not saying the outer me is perfect. I'm saying the inner eye is perfect. I am. What's inside of me? The Spirit of God. Don't ever criticize what's in you. Everywhere in the Bible, again, the outer me is humiliation. Note the prayer of the publican. He did not say, I am a sinner. Be merciful unto me. But he said, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. He didn't say, I am a sinner, but unto me, a sinner. The final test of spiritual insight, spiritual discernment, spiritual understanding is the power of one to see in another, not the me, but the what? The I. When you hate somebody's guts, you don't see the I. You always look to the I. What you're looking at is the me. When I do you wrong, don't look to the I. You're looking at the me. Look past me. Look to the I. See what's inside of a person. People have bad days. They do dumb things, but that doesn't mean they're not full of the Holy Ghost. Always look to the eye. You see, we go a whole lot further if we could do that. It's the I am. What's inside of me? I. Now, God made one definition of himself. And the only time he ever defined himself according to the Bible. And he said, I am that I am. That's the only time that God ever defined himself. I am that I am. Job said, I am perfect. I regard not myself. Job took his stand with the I, part of his nature, and not the me part. God placed his stamp of approval on this statement of Job when he spoke to him out of the whirlwind. He said, Job had spoken wisdom unto his friends. God put his stamp of approval on the statement. God said, Job has spoken wisdom unto his friends. And we can... Take our stand at the inner end of the branch that connects us with the vine instead of residing out at the tip of the branch. We can be one with the great I am that I am, and we can be more than a likeness. We can be the image. Every time I say that, I feel conviction because I've been working on this book for so many years about the image of God. And I get all these ideas and things that come to me, and I don't ever write them down because I don't want to finish it. Because I don't feel like I am capable. Now, what I just say? That God's not capable. 
Now, if I said, me can't do it, that'd be all right. <laughs> you know, it's through us that God does his manifesting. There's so much more that we can know when we are in, in, in tune with God. Our, our will, one with his will. Our, our mind in tune with his mind. There is so much more that we can be and do if we are in tune with him. And we begin to, to, to truly, truly put this in action. What's the most important thing in my life? It's the I am. It's what's inside of me. It's not trying to please everybody around me. It's not that you're going to be displeasing, but I'm, I'm saying that we have to understand what God is and looking at other people that is full of this wonderful Holy Ghost or potential Holy Ghost-filled people. There is a part of all of us that is made in the image of God. There is a God part of every one of us. That's what brings conviction. If there wasn't a God desire in every man, nobody would ever be saved. So there is that part of everybody. It's what Lee Stone King made a statement one time. How is it that there's always these geniuses that just pop up all of a sudden or someone who, who is a great uh, pianist or someone who can, you know, can just, just do outstanding things? Well, it's because they're kickbacks all the way to Adam. Adam was made perfect in the image of God. We're in the image of God, but Adam was perfect. They kicked all the way back to him. Do you realize that that be the case, the potential that a Holy Ghost-filled person has? We have to quit looking at ourselves and I can't do it. I can do it because God does it through me. Let's stand. Let's give the Lord a real good hand clap. Praise God. Turn to the person next to you. Say, I can. No, no. They didn't do it right. Turn to the person next to you and say, I will. Turn to the person on the other side and say, I will, can. I can, will. Me can't, but I can. Lord bless you. You're dismissed.